0: Hi, I'm Andrew. I'm Kirsten. And this is Most Foul Mini.
1: Hey, everybody. It's so good to be back. And we have an amazing show for you today. Another wonderful mini episode. We have a very special guest. And I am going to let Andrew introduce her. She's that special.
0: The guest today is one of the best people on this planet. And you're very lucky to be listening to her inciting incident. She's my dear friend, platonic soulmate, Liz Bernstein. (laughs) Hello.
2: Yes, I often feel bad for my partner when we hang up the phone after talking. And I'm like, I love you so much. Okay, bye, Andrew. And my partner's just in the other room, alone and lonely.
1: late to that. Andrew was my work husband for a while and I definitely felt like at times we would be talking on the phone at night about work stuff and my husband's just in the other room doing his own thing and it's like and then Andrew you won't believe what so and so said. <laughs> <laughs> well that actually reminds me that we maybe have a dating update. I don't know.
0: Dates are happening. Mm-hmm. There is a date in two days. Oh, and it's for lunch this time. It's a step up from coffee.
1: That is a commitment.
0: Um, So far, not a murderer.
1: As far as you know.
0: I'm watching. I'm watching for any flags.
1: Well, you know, I was thinking about your dating the other day and we had talked about, I made what I thought might be a funny one-liner, men literally more likely to kill you than to bring you flowers on a first date. And I had such a grim thought that you had a first date and he didn't bring you flowers. So what does that mean? Because I don't understand how logic works. So I was kind of like, uh oh,
2: (laughs) sometimes people try to like explain statistics to me and I'm like, just tell me the outcome. And I will trust that the math works. Because I feel like if he didn't bring you flowers, that means he's not a murderer. But if he did bring you flowers, that means he could be a murderer.
0: Well, my first date with my ex and very close friend, I should have been murdered. Explain. Like, there were so many red flags. So he brought me a homemade scone. Could have been poisoned or drugged.
1: (laughs) Don't eat food from strangers.
0: And then it was going so well, and he's like, oh, I really want to show you this place that I like. Ride with me in my van.
2: No, never go to a second
1: location. A van, a van, in a van.
0: His parents' minivan. Sure. So then I do get in. (laughs) I'm just like, oh, this is great. And then we're like, into the woods.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Because, Kirsten, if you remember uh, Nevada City where we went to escape the smoke, that's where we went.
1: Oh, my. I mean, just the town is in the boonies. It's far, the town is remote, and there are woods everywhere.
0: So it turned into a great five-year relationship, but um, (laughs) it it should have been murdered.
2: (laughs) I know this person, and I know he is not a murderer, but all you have just told me make me question... My own meaning of him. <laughs> I know. I kind of want to message him and be like, what were you thinking?
0: <laughs> but think of his face and his vibe.
1: <laughs> but that could all be an act. I mean, look at Ted Bundy. He was like this poor, poor handsome guy with a broken arm. Although I know his his handsomeness is disputed. but Allegedly
0: yeah, handsome. His allegedly
1: handsome <laughs> facade.
0: Well, and we have Bundy connections on the podcast
1: oh yeah Liz you know someone who knew someone do I have Bundy connections did I tell you that
2: yes I oh my gosh I was
0: like do I whisper it
2: oh Oh my gosh you're so right how I would I've been so focused on like thinking about what I'm going to talk about today and, like, not messing up that I completely forgot my entire rest of my life and history. Um, (laughs) But, yes, we do have Bundy connections. My Bundy connection is that my aunt actually went to FSU, and she was in a sorority during the whole... Bundy sorority crime spree and so she is the youngest sibling of the three siblings of my dad and my uncle and my aunt um and my dad's like a big bruiser of a guy and especially back in the 70s was just like a surfer and did karate and like was just very big and tough and so my grandparents sent him to go sleep on the sorority um living room floor with a baseball bat just in case Ted Bundy tried to break in, I guess they thought that my, my dad alone was going to end that murder spree. So yeah. that's.
1: I mean, it's something, you know, because part of me when I hear those, I mean, you never want to, like, second-guess people or, like, make it sound like you think it's the victim's fault. Like, I'm not a victim blamer in any way, shape, or form. But there's a part of you that's like... Why, were, why was anybody still in town? Like, what was the thought process? What was going on? And so that's such a good example of, okay, people were doing stuff. People were taking it seriously. And, yeah, I would have slept better with some big burly guy with a baseball bat in my living room than not.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, it is safer. It's all about risk reduction. Yes. My mom, well, my mom was a co-ed in Utah at that time. And so she still has it to this day, but she had like keychain mace that her uncle who was a cop gave her. Wow. And it was like if any man speaks to you, spray him in the eyes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> spray first. I'm like my
1: mom who <laughs> my mom told us a couple of weeks ago, you know, Andrew asked how what was your deal like during all of this going, "Oh, I wasn't afraid." Nothing, nothing could happen to me. My mom made absolutely no life alterations, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm lucky to be here today, basically. <laughs> so shall we jump right in? I'm excited to hear what you have to tell us, Liz, in terms of your inciting incident.
0: Yeah, so just a quick plug to the listener. Please go to our website and send us your inciting incidents so we can read them in future mini-episodes. Yes. So without further ado, the big question, Liz, is what is your inciting incident, which is a thing in culture, an event, an amalgamation of a couple different things that happen in your life? What was it that really set you on the path of following true crime?
2: Yeah, so I feel like I have an amalgamation. If I was going to uh, kind of categorize that, the one that I think is most unique to me in my experience is when I was eight my mom was called for jury duty. Um, and when you're called for jury duty, you have no idea what you're going to be called for. And She happened to be called for like the biggest murder trial that was happening in my little hometown um, or that like had ever happened in my little hometown. And wow. she ended up being selected for the jury. Which she really tried not to be because we apparently, I, I didn't at the time, I was eight, but we apparently knew the family. My dad owned a surf shop and the girl who was involved in the murder worked for the surf shop for a while and like had worked for my grandfather in our in our other store that my grandfather owned. So we like straight up knew the family, knew the people involved. And my mom was like, here is my whole family history. Please don't select me to be on this this jury. And she was for some reason. The case was Huge. Um, the trial went on for months. It was in the news. I can tell you a little bit about the trial. I will do a trigger warning because it's horrific. Trigger warning, child murder. The girl was around my sister's age-ish. My sister's a little bit older than me. She was like college age. My sister knew this girl. Girl had hidden her pregnancy and then had had the baby in her bathroom of her mom's house. And allegedly had the baby alive and then wrapped the baby in garbage bags and hid it in the closet. Um, And so she was on trial for, for murdering her child. She said that the baby had been born already dead. And so this is like this horrific murder trial that my mom is a part of. She has to listen to all of these testimonies. She has to sit through all of these pictures. Worst thing that's ever happened. She ends up being um, chosen as an alternate, which means that you don't have to be one of the people actually making the call as to whether somebody's guilty or not guilty. But she got to be on Dateline. And we all got to meet Hoda Kotb, which is what I remember from this horrible time in my mom's <laughs> life is that I got to see a Dateline record in the Casa Monica Resort in St. Augustine, Florida. So we got to hang out at like this fancy resort and meet Hoda Kotb and see like all the behind the scenes of like recording the news um, wow. and so when I remember this time in my life, I like get very excited because it's when I first met Hoda Kotb. <laughs> it's
0: like um, the most fun thing <laughs> in eight year old Liz's life.
2: <laughs> it really was. And so after that, like, I always, I always remember watching Dateline. I always remember watching like forensic files and all of those kinds of stuff. And Hoda Kotb became like this like, deity in our household. We, like, we love Hoda Kotb. We watch everything she does. I bought her book for my sister when my sister had a baby. Like, she's, like, this extra member of our household. And we have this <laughs> weird connection with her that, like, I, a few years ago, I found the Dateline video. Um, but even now, it's been so long that you can't find it anywhere. It's not on YouTube. Like, it's, like, fallen off the face of the earth. So I don't even think Hoda Kotb remembers that she came to St. Augustine to do this interview, but we remember. The Bernstein wow. family remembers <laughs> Hoda <Kotb.
1: laughs> That is amazing. So was your mom sequestered during the whole time,
2: or how did that work? Yeah, so she, I, I remember her coming home, um, but, like, we weren't allowed to watch the news. She wasn't allowed to talk to anybody. Um, and she, I remember during the time where she would tell us, like, there were reporters in the, the parking lot that were, like, trying to get statements from them, but, like, you're not allowed to talk to anybody, you're not allowed to, she, she did, think like, I mean, I guess it was 30 years ago at this point, I'm allowed to say this, like, she did share details of the trial with us, um, but, like, you're not allowed to talk about anything, you're not allowed to be, like, influenced by outside sources at all. So I do remember her coming home, but, yeah, that was a long, it was a long, long trial. It was, like, a couple months, um, just because of how horrible it was. I think, like, the, the back and forth of did she, didn't she, what, you know, what constitutes, like, death and, like, all that kind of stuff. It was just, like, yeah. very complicated,
1: Wow. So what was the outcome?
2: I am almost positive she was found guilty, but it was, I don't think she was found guilty of like murder one or two. I think it was like manslaughter, like, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: like by neglect almost. And I actually, I tried to look up a few years ago. I tried to just Google it of like what the final outcome was. And I don't remember, but I'm almost positive it was, it was manslaughter This sounds crazy. I sound like a crazy person right now. No.
1: (laughs) Not at all. And I mean, the thing that I find really interesting is what we're starting to find is a pattern that these inciting incidents happen when people are really young. You know, people can trace this interest back to pretty early childhood. Mm Mm-hmm. So Liz, how do you feel like that fed into and developed? You know, you said that it was kind of an amalgamation. Like, what, what was the next stage of development? It led you to, Dateline is like the, the
2: gateway, the gateway <laughs> drug of true crime. It's funny. So I actually, the topic that I had kind of told Andrew that I was interested in talking about was not that at all. So I totally sprung child murder on on both of you. I apologize for that. Um, the thing that I had actually thought about was the fact that I love murder mysteries, always kind of loved that, and I was looking at my DVD and VHS um, kind of shelf the other night and I realized how many movies I have currently or have watched that involve mice, animated mice rescuing children from like perilous situations <laughs> and like how young I watch those and how many I have seen <laughs> and can like actively remember like the rescuers animated mice saving a child from like a horrible um, foster care adoption system situation. The Rescuers down under animated <laughs> mice saving a child from Uh, kidnapping and potentially being eaten by a venomous lizard. The great mouse detective, animated mice, saving a child (laughs) from kidnapping and murder. Uh, There are just, there's a lot.
0: And And the peril is real. The
2: peril, it's not like, oh no, are they going to make it? Like, no, this child is going to die unless these animated mice come to their rescue. (laughs) I hope they can befriend, you know a bird that can fly them in (laughs) fast enough to save these children
0: yeah fun and zany seagull
2: (laughs) yeah
1: the the animated movies of the 70s and 80s just had a totally different take on the the stakes the stakes were so high compared to now it's like oh you know i mean i can't even think of something off off the cuff but the stakes
2: are so incredibly low right Right, exactly. I feel like we got scared in the 90s that we were, like, 90s and early 2000s, that, like, we were making children into crazy, murder-obsessed people, which they clearly, they were. (laughs) Um, So that was correct. Um, But I also started thinking about, I also really loved, there were a, a lot of, like, little girl spies or, like, little girl detectives, um, Harriet the Spy and, like, all those types of movies. And then I remember the fact that those were things that were present in the 50s, 40s and 50s, too. And I just think that's such an interesting thing that clearly we love exposing children, you know, these books, um, the Hardy Boys, these are geared toward children. Yeah. To... So thinking about, like, okay, how can you be a detective to solve this murder? It's like, what is that? Do we want (laughs) a child to learn that? Okay.
1: (laughs) Well, and I wonder how it came out of, you know, fables of hundreds of years ago, and they were intended to teach these kind of lessons of how to survive in the world and yada yada, and how that may have evolved into that. I, You know, I don't know, but there is something that is so hyper-specific about where it went, you know? Like, how often are children really going to be in that situation as opposed to fables that were like, don't let your goats wander off a cliff or whatever, you know?
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, we all know fables and nursery rhymes are dark, but, like, I feel like Hansel and Gretel was a big part of everyone's childhood, and it is children being eaten.
1: Yeah. I, I haven't had... The stomach to really, like, expose my kids to that yet. And the older one is eight. But, you know, by then, at eight, I knew all about that. And, yeah, they were getting eaten, and it was just... I don't know. It didn't seem so horrific. But now, even as an adult, it seems too horrific to expose my children to.
0: <laughs> Actually, the one that just popped into my head, the real horror, I think, is Little Red Riding Hood. I mean, eating the grandma... Eating her, I believe, the axe man having to cut them out of his stomach. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, yeah. You're a li- or at least we of previous generations. I don't know. Maybe Gen Z's <laughs> never heard of it. But <laughs> that's dark, dark, yeah. dark.
2: Yeah. I will say, as much as I'm like, why are we showing this to kids? I read a, so I, I studied mental health counseling in grad school, and I took a really great child development class. Um, and we all had to like pick a book and like read that book all semester and present it to the class. And so the one that I picked was about fairy tales, um, and like the psychological theory around why fairy tales are good. And in it, the, the, the writer, the author kind of purports the fact that like kids need to learn there is good and there is bad. Like kids are very black and white until about a certain age and if we try to give them, like, complex villains, you know, villains with a backstory, they really can't, they don't understand. They can't grasp that. Like, they need a wolf that eats people and, you know, a grandma that is saved. Like, the grandma has to be saved because she's good and the wolf has to eat people because he's bad. Um, you know, like, they, they don't want to know that the wolf has, you know, a tragic backstory and this is the <laughs> reason why he eats grandmas. Um so maybe that is actually the, you know, good for kids to to let them solve
1: murders. That's amazing. Now we have Andrew, our expert, for when we have an episode about a fairy tale tie-in. Yes.
2: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Beyond animated mice, are there other <laughs> pieces, and not necessarily <laughs> childhood either, like I think... Well, one that I know Liz and I share would be, like, My Favorite Murder and into the podcast world of mm-hmm. true crime.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So are there pieces like that, like, uh, sort of as you're growing up? So we've got the murder trial, the goddess Hoda Kotb. Um,
1: <laughs> I'm never going to look at her the same way again. <laughs> <laughs>
0: animated mice harriet the spy incredible movie I uh, loved renting that and the the vhs cassette was orange i was like this is the coolest thing in the world
1: so i just watched that a couple of months ago i watched that periodically just whether my kids want to watch it or not i love that movie <laughs> that's fantastic
2: that's fantastic i am way into watching kids movies as an adult i don't think that there's a time limit on those um well, I will say I, I feel like I remember so many, and I think that this, a lot of this has to do with just how prevalent media was when when I was a kid and just kind of how much more access we had um, as I was kind of coming up into my understanding of the world and that kind of stuff. Like, I remember the O.J. Simpson trials. I remember, and I was very, very young, but I remember um, the John Ramsey incidents. There were quite a few like really high profile um, kidnappings that like happened like throughout my my time coming up. And I always remember really really loving watching watching things like Dateline. And I remember too my mom really hating to watch anything that had to do with home invasions that like really freaked her out. That was like her line. Like if we were watching the news, if anything ha- had to do with a home invasion, she she wouldn't be able to watch it. She had to leave. I just remember like just being really fascinated. And so I used to really love reading mystery novels and murder mysteries and never really having like a, a moment of this is too much or this freaks me out. Um Just being like really just kind of hungry of like learning about how weird, you know, people are and like how people react to the world um I never liked horror because I was really scared of ghosts Mm -hmm. um so I I, that was that was my personal line (laughs) (laughs) ghosts and aliens I could not deal with but like bloody murder like bring it on I don't I don't know why
1: (laughs) see that you already kind of answered one of my next questions which was like you know did you find that it made you kind of paranoid at all or changed how you move through the world
2: I don't know. I feel like I already was or just be like brought up to be very paranoid door lock. My my partner now gets so annoyed at me because I have my car set where when I turn it off, none of the doors unlock. So I have to actually physically unlock any of the doors that I want access to. And it drives him insane because any other car, you turn it off and you're like, oh, I'm going to go into the back seat and you just open the door and it's normal. And I'm like, no, what if someone wants to murder me in the back seat? Yeah, um, I mean, that is yeah. just being a woman in today's <laughs> that, society. That is, that's the thing. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean, I, I can't speak for all of our listeners, but I feel like people are sitting and nodding, especially the women, because, yeah, that's just standard. That's standard operating procedure.
2: Exactly. And maybe that's why I, like, I liked true crime so much, because it almost felt like a lifelong study of, like, here are ways that I can continue to protect myself. I remember I went to Target once with an old supervisor, and it was nighttime, and he parked... He parked, like, really far away from the door because he was like, well, there's nobody parked out here, so I don't have to worry about, like, anybody hitting my car or anything like that. And I was like, you have never been a woman um, because the places I look to park are as close to the door as possible and under a light. Yes. And this is neither of those things. I never would have even come to this side of the parking lot. Um, <laughs> and we had, like, a very, like, you know, come to realization moment about, like privilege in the patriarchy of parking when you go to target
1: totally totally but I think you know women don't often well now I think it's changing but until just a couple of years ago I don't think women talked a lot about it so even men who were married or had sisters or ha- had daughters like didn't necessarily know that these were things that we just do all the time and it's kind of just that thing running in the back of your mind constantly yeah absolutely Okay, so let's, before we end, maybe you could tell us about, like, your favorite true crime thing right at this moment. Is there something that you're reading or watching that you really
2: love? Yeah, actually. Um, so I will say around 2016, I kind of stopped liking murdery things so much. I definitely still listened to my favorite murderer, um but i kind of got to the point where i was like too full i was like there's a lot going on in the world and i can no longer intake any more things on I was like the say, fictional is going on in 2016 hmm. so i was like i can't i can't intake you know fictional or like entertainment murdery stuff anymore for a very long time um and then 2020 happened and that continued but i've been venturing back in a little bit and this is nothing new but my partner and i started watching true detective the first season with matthew mcconaughey um and oh gosh i completely forgot woody harrelson woody harrelson i love him i can't believe i forgot that you just um, had that right
1: there andrew <laughs>
0: I had a conversation about True Detective Season 1 with someone else last week.
2: Did you really? It came out in 2014. What are we doing? I mean, but it's so
1: good. Time is a flat circle is just like, that is my my deepest truth.
2: And I keep, at the end of each episode, I keep saying, okay, here's where they're going with this. Here's what, you know, the rest of the series is going to look like. And then they do not do the thing that I expect them to do. Yeah. Um, which I think has been has been very interesting and very cool. Um, I will say Woody Harrelson's character has been much more difficult to stomach than Matthew McConaughey's, even though Matthew McConaughey is meant to be like the difficult one. And I think it's cool that they're both executive director or executive producers. Like they're both putting their money into they both put their money into the project, which I think is really neat. The other thing that I'm following are the connection between, and this is truly a connection between, you know, um, pop culture and true crime, I think, is obviously the hashtag Free Britney movement, um, not only because she is clearly in a very terrible situation, but also I have been doing some very obsessive deep dives into, like, reading about conservatorships and how they typically go very poorly, um, And it makes me rethink, I I mean, I I was formerly a a therapist and worked in the mental health field, um, and makes me rethink the things that I thought were very normal and the procedures that I thought were very normal kind of within that field and for protection and that kind of thing. So that's been the other thing that I've been obsessed with right now.
1: Yeah, we were just talking about this at our last recording session, and same, I I was never a counselor, but when I first got out of school, I worked um, as a case manager at a group home, And we didn't have formal... Well, I guess we did. We had conservatorships and we had people whose Medicaid came to us at the group home and we dispensed it and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I mean, I felt benevolent and that I was working to help these folks. But, yeah, it really makes you wonder about how that all works, who makes those decisions, and what really is right for people and who gets to decide. I mean, uh, yeah, it's very... It's very complicated, and I just feel like I'm very happy I don't work in that field anymore. But, you know, I hope that there are some smart, compassionate people thinking about it and working on it. And obviously, Brittany needs some kind of agency over her life. And I think the point you made last time, Andrew, which was if she's well enough to work, she's well enough to manage her own money. I mean, it just comes down to that. Like, if she is well enough to work, then... Why shouldn't she be in control of her life?
0: Yeah, this has been an amazing episode. And we're so grateful for your time and your stories, Liz.
1: This
2: is amazing. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm very, very happy to be here. Seriously, thank you so much for letting me ramble to to both of you and your
0: listeners. And <laughs> listeners, uh, special thanks to Liz as well for being emotional support creative thought partner, um, all of the conversations months and months ago about ideating on starting a podcast in the first place. Liz is a part of the Most Foul family.
1: Yes, absolutely. And that reminds me, we want to plug the website, mostfowlpod.com. Go check it out. We're going to have episode notes about all of our episodes, we may throw some stuff in there about this one. And also, if you go to about, we have a credits page. So you can see all of the people who helped us put this together. And Liz
0: is right there at the top. Okay. Well, as always, we appreciate the hell out of you.
1: hundred percent.
0: Thanks for listening to Most Fowl. If you've got a tip for a future episode topic or want to send us your own inciting incident for a mini episode,
1: Visit our website at mostfowlpod.com and write in.
0: This has been a Facts from Janet production.